What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here. And today, I am going to be interviewing one of the coolest guys in jiu-jitsu. He is one, the president of the We Defy uh, Foundation, which is for veterans and people with PTSD. Uh, you could donate to it today. I've met him a few times. Amazing human being. He has four gyms, I believe five gyms, we're going to find out in the episode, and he's done it in a very short amount of time. In this episode, you will learn how to deal with your students, you will learn how to create multiple jujitsu gyms and how to run them, you will also learn how to build an empire, which is why I'm calling this episode Building an Empire. I learned so much from Brian Marvin. Um, I'm a gym owner right now and, you know, my goal is to open multiple, multiple affiliates of Immortals Jiu-Jitsu. So I need to, I need a blueprint from people. We had an episode with Tom DeBlas, which was great. I wanted another perspective of another gym owner and this was absolutely amazing. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here. And I am with my main man, Brian Marvin, the founder of the We Defy organization and the owner of multiple Henzo Gracie academies in the uh, lower Texas, uh, Houston, Austin, and I believe Dallas. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I've always wanted to be a gym owner, and I finally made my dream come true this past month. Uh, I'm sorry, this past two months. And I've always wanted to have this conversation with Brian on how to run a gym successfully and how to run multiple gyms successfully. So I thought, why not make a podcast out of it? Welcome to the pro podcast, Brian. How is it going? Good to see you today. Hey, just a couple of corrections on there. I've got uh, Henzo Gracie Academies in Houston and Austin, a couple other spots, Tennessee and Idaho. But I was not the founder of the We Defy Foundation. I was the president of the We Defy Foundation and a, a member for... Uh, and a, a good supporter, the the founders of the We Defy Foundation were Alan Shabaro and Joey Bosick. Those guys founded. I was the president of it for a while. So that's amazing. Um, did you want to start off the episode by maybe telling some of the the viewers uh, a little bit about the We Defy Foundation? Yeah, absolutely. the The We Defy Foundation is a five hundred one three C non for profit, it's uh, the main objective is to use jujitsu as a vehicle uh, for therapy for disabled combat veterans to use, uh, like I said, jujitsu as a form of therapy and fitness against things like PTSD, TBI, um, alcohol, drug addiction, to try to get them back oriented in a team um, of caring individuals of people that are, you know, going to hold them accountable and, uh, you know, cheer them along the way and kind of get back after that. And we've had a lot of success with uh, jujitsu and the program, and it's really, really expanding. Travis Larson is the, the president of the We Defy Foundation currently, and he's taken it to just really, really new heights. So That's amazing. Um, I have two current uh, members who come back and forth to my gym and other gyms, and they both suffer from PTSD, former veterans. And they, sell, they, they told me that jujitsu really helps them a lot uh being able to cope with their issues and they told me if it weren't for jujitsu they they don't know where they would be today and they're doing pretty damn good yeah that's that's for sure i mean jujitsu does a lot of things for a lot of people but it certainly does help uh, uh veterans even if they have disabilities that are impairing um the founder of the we defy foundation is a triple mpt joey bosick and uh you know he trains and competes and and wins in jujitsu and it's an amazing to see him uh, just out there on those mats, putting it out there and, you know, leading the charge, showing that it can be done and proving them wrong that it can't. That's amazing. Um, I've actually done a lot of not-for-profit tax returns because my day job, I'm an accountant. So I'm wondering, um, how do you guys get funding and where can my viewers donate to the We Defy Foundation? They can uh, donate at the wedefyfoundation.org. And typically our funding comes from about three, well, four different ways, I guess. Um, donations, obviously, um, either reoccurring donations or single donations. Um, merchandise sales, they have a lot of gi they have a lot of materials uh, such as geese and rash guards and shorts and other accessories that are uh, to be able to represent the brand and the mission of the, the We Defy Foundation. 
that we have generally have a uh, gala that we have held that has done uh, very, very, been very, very successful in raising money through silent auctions and donations at that. And then uh, through seminars, uh, I used to travel monthly uh, around the United States conducting fundraising seminars in support of the We Defy Foundation with 100% of the profits going to them. Uh, the We Defy Foundation is an all-volunteer board. Um, they do not take money from the We Defy Foundation. They volunteer their time and efforts uh, to the cause. So it's something that the, the money definitely goes right back into helping veterans, not something that... Um, you know, has has a high priced board to run something like this where we were and uh, they are all volunteers that are that are doing this. That's amazing because I've done a lot of tax returns for not for profit and I'm looking at the CEO salary and I see things like five hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm just like, come on, guys, this is an actual not for profit. So you guys are actual not for profit volunteers. And that's amazing to hear. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, um, the other questions I wanted to ask you today, uh, I was in Texas competing on who's number one. And I remember I wanted to train at, uh, Hensel Gracie Austin, but I don't believe it was open yet. So I messaged you and I told you I had a super fight in Houston and it was very nice of you. I was extremely appreciative that you hit me back up with a message. You're like, Hey, I got you a ride to Houston, and that's how I met uh, Patrick Banks and uh, Cody, which was awesome, and I actually stayed with them while I was in Houston. Right. So thank you so much for that. Um, I just wanted to talk about um, when did you decide to open up your first gym, and uh, what are some of the struggles you faced? Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, really, I didn't want to open up my own academy. Um, before I moved down to Houston, I was in the Army, and – I had moved to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and when I got there, there wasn't a lot of jujitsu up there, and so I was a brown belt at the time, and the only way that I was going to be able to train jujitsu is if I started to teach jujitsu, so I started teaching up there, and I really didn't even want to do that at the time. I just wanted to, to compete, and so once I started teaching, I found a different love for the sport and the art, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And so still, once I was in the Army, um, I started an academy up in, in Tennessee that I gave over to one of my students when I left. And then when I retired, my original plan was to move back to Tennessee and go into law enforcement. That's what I had wanted to do the time that I was in the Army. So I was going to go back into uh, to Tennessee and try to get into law enforcement. But I had the opportunity that I had a couple of students that asked me, their parents said, hey, we really think you have uh, a good thing of how you teach and people really gravitate towards you. And we are interested in being an investor in you if you ever had the um, thought of opening up your own academy. So I, I thought about it and I really like Texas. I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice area. And so I, I decided to explore that a little bit further. And when I did, I, I ended up, opening up my own academy and um, I was teaching at another academy at the time and so I transitioned over to this one and the, the biggest thing that um, I guess the the biggest thing that the, was the hardest part initially was it's tough sometimes as a new academy to get support um, from other academies because a lot of times people think that um, when one person leaves, they're going to, and they open up something else, they're going to take all of your students. And <laughs> yes. so by supporting them, you risk the, you risk the, the possibility of students leaving. So if you don't support them and, and I, I saw your questions that you said, and I was going to bring this up later on and I, and I'll answer it later, but if you don't support them, then what you do is you just kind of hold all your cards close and you make sure your students stay with you and you um, don't support anybody else in jujitsu or, or their academy. You know what I mean? Unless it's, unless it's yours, you know, if it's your academy and that you expand to a different spot, of course you're going to uh, support that. But a lot of times what happens is when, you, you see it a lot in the jiu-jitsu community, and, and I felt it. I'm sure other people feel it too. 
um, when you when you open up your own thing, people are like, oh man, that's great. I'm I'm happy for you, but I'm I'm not happier than I'm happier for me. You know what I mean? They'll yeah. They'll support you just enough to show you that hey, I'm I'm happy for you, but not that happy for you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so there's a there's an amazing quote. I don't know if you ever seen the movie The Bronx Tale, mm-hmm. but but he says everybody's happy for you until you're doing better than them. Right. Exactly. Then, then they're not too happy or have you. the potential to do better than them. Yeah. Right. I, um, when I was opening up, I literally dealt with the same thing you dealt with people congratulating me and whatnot. Then I found out behind my back, they were telling people not to go to my school. Yeah. So it's like, it's very sad that, um, even though our community is very small jujitsu, it's like people sometimes don't support each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I try to be the opposite of that. And I see you're definitely the opposite of that, which is really nice. Right. Um, so that was a really cool story on how your gym started. Like freaking out of a movie. The, the parents are like, you know what? We'll invest in you. And, um, and, and that's how you, you know, made a freaking dream come true. Uh, even though you said you didn't want to teach in the beginning. So I wanted to ask you. Uh, you wanted to go into law enforcement, right? At what point did you realize that um, you were making enough money in your academy to make it a full-time job? How, what was the amount of students you hit to where like, you know what, I could actually make this a full-time job? Well, my situation was a little bit different. I retired from the army and, and I'm disabled from the army. So I get a I get a pension from the army or I get retirement from the army and then a little bit of disability on top of that. So I had the ability, um, because I don't live an extravagant lifestyle, I pretty much just work my butt off all the time and train jiu-jitsu uh-huh. and ride mountain bikes and shoot guns. But um, nice. but um, I, I made it so that way I didn't need the academy to support my lifestyle. Um, so when, when my partners and I went in on this, um, we wanted to do it and try to do it free of debt. Like I didn't want to have loans or owe banks or people money. So we put our own money in before we paid ourselves, we paid ourselves back. So, wow. um, it was a little bit different situation when I, when I set this one up, um, just because I was in that situation where I had just retired from the, the army after 20 years and I was receiving, um, retirement from that so wow so that that's pretty cool um now you said you went into business with partners i actually have one partner um you know we started our gym this summer just operating illegally yeah. uh out of yeah and uh because these freaking lockdown orders are just unconstitutional oh 100 and uh yeah and we built up we had an open mat about 40 people coming a day and then they're like hey why don't you just why don't you just start teaching and i'm like you know what that's not a bad idea right so that's how we started now me and my partner it's cool because we have the same mindset we haven't run into any trouble yet with you and your partners were there any points in where you butt heads and how did you solve that yeah i mean we butted heads because um they weren't really um they own businesses, but they didn't own like a jujitsu business. And uh, even, and even if you own a jujitsu business, like my business may be different than your business based on your demographic, where you're at, you know, what your, what your specialties or what you're looking for, you know, just overall the, the market in general. So my situation may be completely different than your situation. And, and sometimes we would butt heads on, on things because obviously if we're putting our own money and we, we want to spend as little of our own money as possible. But then on the other hand, there are times that we need to spend money or we needed to spend money that it was kind of like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to spend money. It's like, but I, but we need to, but, but I don't want oh, to. Wow. So it's kind of like things like that, you know, but you, if, if you have a good partner group and you have the ability to, to talk to each other and work through things, then, you, you can brainstorm and kind of come to a good conclusion. And a lot of times, and the one thing that would kind of help out sometimes is because they had a different business, they could give me a different uh, viewpoint or, or aspect of what I thought that I needed. And what I, I thought that I needed a lot of things at the time, you know, and, and as you set up a business, you obviously think you need a lot of things. 
But the one thing that you can find as you gain experience and you open up your next one is that what you really, what the things that are really important that you need and the things that aren't and how you can make it flourish um, economically. You know what I mean? Yes, 100%. Um, and, you know, one more thing I wanted to add to that. You said, you know, when you said we need to invest money into this specific thing. Now, what about investing time into something? Because you could have four partners investing the same amount of money. Three of them aren't doing shit. And one of them's doing all the actual legwork, promoting on Instagram, promoting on social media, you know, marketing, etc. Um, did you have a way to divvy up the actual responsibilities and the amount of hours put into the business weekly? Well, it was pretty much 100% me doing that part of it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But that that was the agreement going in. It wasn't something like our agreement going in was this was going to be mine. They they were going to support, but you know their their investment in it was in me in this business. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. Now now I definitely understand that a little better. Um, so I feel that um, in martial arts, very few people know that martial actually means military, and I feel like uh, a lot of people forget that. You know. I get it that it's fun. I get it that it's cool. You make friends, et cetera. But I've seen some jujitsu gyms kind of become like social clubs where people aren't really learning how to defend themselves. Do you um, put any of your military values into teaching and how important is discipline to you and, you know, respect and all that in the martial arts academy? Um, I put a, I put a lot of, of that into it because I mean, that's just, how I am. I'm not a really militant person. I'm probably one of the most sarcastic jokester people that you will ever meet. But I mean, I'm sure you know a ton of them, but I'm one of those people as well. Um, mm -hmm. But on the same thing, I'm very disciplined when it comes to doing things. You, you can 100% have a great time and enjoy something and it'd be beneficial, still be disciplined and still have a shit ton of fun. Um, yes. The problem is, is, is when the, the fun is, is at the expense of the learning process. If people just, yes. if people realize that there's a difference between the, the learning cycle of something and then the execution cycle of something, like when you're learning it, like, let's pay attention, be disciplined, quiet, and let's learn it. So that way everybody can learn it and we can learn it effectively and as efficiently as we can if if people are not disciplined and they're messing around or or doing not paying attention or whatever kids adults whatever then you have to reteach it again or as soon as you break out anybody got questions don't make your questions one two three everybody claps and you go out and they're like hey can you help me with this i'm like dude you haven't even tried it one time like how are you gonna ask me for yeah. help when i just taught it and i asked if anybody had any questions and you haven't even tried it one time and you know what I'm saying? So when, when you can get past that and people are like, oh, okay, I can still have fun. I can still learn some discipline to learn the right time to do certain things and then get into that execution phase and like, let's have fun and do this, you know? 100% agree. And um, I'm, I'm the same way with that. Um, like, you know, I've had, I've had issues with some discipline issues. Like uh, I could totally understand if you're working late and you come late. But when I see a young kid coming in 20 minutes late when there's an 8 o'clock class, 20 minutes late when there's an 8.30 class, it's just reoccurring. I got to have a talk with them and be like, listen, man, this isn't a social club. You have to be coming on time. You got to be disciplined or else it's going to ruin the culture of the gym. So that, that, that's definitely super, super important. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, after the first gym was doing well, when did you decide it was time to build um, additional gym? Well, I, it was kind of different. So when I retired, when I when I left Tennessee and I moved to Houston, I didn't want to, I couldn't commit to being a gym owner at that time at there um, because of how that gym was set up, um, and because I was in the army, I didn't want to commit to doing something that I couldn't be there and be a part of. So when I retired and I opened up this academy here. Um, I got back in as a partner in the one up in Tennessee and we expanded that one up there. So that one, we kind of did the two at the same time. So it was, it was 
kind oh, wow. of weird because I already kind of had one up there that wasn't, I was associated with them. They were, they were affiliated with me. Um, but it was their, their kind of academy up there. And then when I retired, I opened up this gym, we reopened that one up there and rebranded it into, uh, uh, the same academy as that I had here. And then it, it, it expanded from there. Got it. So that was Tennessee and Houston at this time, yep. right? And then it went so to Idaho. Idaho. Said- I had a, a, a very, very close friend of mine that I was training with down here. I promoted him to purple and brown belt. His wife was in um, residency and she graduated from that and, and was going to go into practice. And they moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And his goal was to, he was a Navy SEAL. His goal was to one day own his own academy. And so after he got up there a couple of years and got established, he said, hey, Brian, I, w- I want to open up my own place. And so I said, okay, well, let's do it then. And uh, so we opened up that academy up there, and that was the third one. And that was actually my first Henzo Academy because I, I switched teams at that point when I opened up that academy. Okay, what was your previous I was team? on uh, Gracie Baja. Oh, nice. You make the right choice. I agree. Nothing, nothing <laughs> against those guys, but it's it's been a it's been more my style of jujitsu and atmosphere being on Hinzo's team than I could have ever imagined. It's it's so much more me, the 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 feeling and the vibe you get from Hinzo and the all of the family and academies. It's it's like matches perfectly with me, and I made that relationship with Hinzo through the We Defy Foundation. We created uh, uh, his academy, the Hanzo Gracie Academy downtown as, as a certified training facility for the We Defy Foundation. So that's initially how I met him. And then when it got to the point where I left Gracie Baja, he was the first person I messaged because I, I could tell we got along before and, and we had, were on the same like wavelength with the person, you know. So I messaged him and I yeah. said, hey, uh, Master Henzo, I said, there's no issues. You know, you can talk to Drac because Drac down here is who I was um, was mentoring me at the time down here. And I said, hey, you can talk to Drac, no issues down here. But, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to join your team. He said, like, no hesitation. Let's do it, brother. So that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like Henzo Gracie Academy has that kind of roughneck uh, tough training atmosphere where everyone's family. And that's definitely the type of values that I, you know, I like to instill in my classes as well. So it was cool. When I came down to Texas, I went to Gracie Baja. They were super welcoming. I trained that dark side. I trained at your place. It was, it was really nice. And it was definitely an awesome atmosphere at your gym. Um, so, so, you know what we didn't really touch up on, you said you were in the military for 20 years do you think you could elaborate for the for the listeners a little bit, you know, what your MOS was, uh, what branch you were in? Yeah, I was in the Army. I started out as a 19 kilo. I did that for quite a few years, and then I switched over uh, into recruiting. I did some special operations recruiting for uh, a few years where I worked for the, uh, the 160th for a while, and I taught combatives at 5th group. Or no, I didn't teach combatives. I taught jujitsu at 5th uh, group. Uh, combatives rooms in the mornings while I was there. Um, and then retired out of Houston as a recruiter as well. Oh, great. So wait, 19 kilo. I'm not Tanker, familiar with armor that. What is that? Member. I was on an M1A1 Abrams main battle tank. Okay. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Those things are so badass. <laughs> and you said you were a recruiter strictly for special forces? Um, well, I recruited regular uh, people off of the street into the Army for a while. And then I did special operations recruiting where I recruited specifically for the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. That's amazing. Is it true what uh, Tim Kennedy said on this podcast? He said that it's hard to find people these days because everyone's out of shape. Uh, not necessarily out of shape. I mean, you can always get into shape, but it's it's hard to find uh-huh. the people with the right aptitude with the right attitude. Okay, interesting. Um, so so now we're at Idaho, Tennessee, Austin, Houston. Um, as far as growth goes, what are some 
pieces of advice you could give to the gym owners listening to this? What are some um what are some opportunities for growth people could really jump on? And what are some things that you feel could hold someone back if they're trying to grow a gym? Um, I have had the philosophy that if you have the right people at the right place at the, the right time, you know, it's, it's going to work out. So your location is your location is probably the number one thing that you've got. It's, it's gotta be a spot that's welcoming first, first off welcoming to people. Um, because mm-hmm. of the intimidation factor of new students coming into a gym. The first thing that they are is is intimidated. And if your place, as you drive up to it or go to it, isn't at least welcoming in some sense, right off the bat, they're not even going to get out of their car or probably drive by it for the 10th time trying to stop and still not be able to. And that's really wow. going to happen. So that your location and the, how welcoming that place looks, in my opinion, you know, kids, especially kids are, are I think, what make a successful jujitsu academy. The, the more kids, they have the most sustained memberships. Um, adults, adults are great, but, you know, blue belts leave. And how long does it take to get the blue belt? And then, if you know, you're, you're going to have a, a cyclic rate there, you know, always getting white belts in they get the blue belt and they're you know it's a joke but you know it's obviously true there's less blue belts less purple belts less brown belts very few black belts so you know as as that cycle goes the things that stay around the longest are kids so if it's not in a in a a place that's convenient or to be able to market to get kids there that's going to be tough for a business to be successful as well and then once it gets set up just make sure it's set it's set up so it's a, a super clean like professional looking uh facility i mean it's it's not garage jujitsu or or you know uh, it's not the the days of the past anymore where people just trained wherever they could possibly train and it looked like whatever it looked like and you trained wherever you could train and it was whatever it was now nowadays you know jujitsu is like coming on to its own and, and you've got to compete with other people. It's not like before where if you wanted to train jiu-jitsu, you got like very few options. Now the options are going up, you know, especially if you're in a bigger city. So, you know, it's got to be a clean professional facility, not, not a, and I call them academies, man. You're, you've got to, you've got to be on the mindset of what you've got is an academy, not a, you don't have a gym. I mean, some people want a gym. Some people will, like, if you're talking about a straight-up jiu-jitsu academy, then we're, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, MMA gyms and, and fight houses and things like that are completely different. But if you're talking about you're a businessman and you want to make money at jiu-jitsu, like, you got to do jiu-jitsu. Unless you're, you can get a crap load of kickboxing or Muay Thai or something else in there. But if you're talking about jiu-jitsu, kids jiu-jitsu, you know, your location, being inviting – I have found recently with the analysis that I've been trying to do expanding is I think smaller academies in neighborhoods where kids and parents can bike or skate or walk or whatever to the academy, I think is going to be the, the really have an opportunity to, I mean, you're going to fill that thing up quicker, but um, being a smaller one, but I don't, I don't think that you really need to get much more than 3000 square feet anymore. Wow. Interesting. Those are some very interesting points. Um, especially about the kids program and the Academy, you know, at the end of the day, jujitsu is a learning thing. So it is an Academy. You're learning every day. It's not just a bunch of meatheads beating the crap out of each other, which does exist, you know? Just like you said, fight houses, fighters meet up, they train, they go home. There's not much learning. But if you're a businessman, Um, you need to be in the mindset of, of it's an academy. You know what I mean? You got to run it like it's like it's a business and academy, you know, and that's it's hard to do sometimes. Exactly. It is. It is definitely because, you know, some people just want to fall into that gym category because it's so easy to do that because running an academy is so much harder. 
Um, and, and as far as the kids, that was my next question. I see a lot of pictures of you judo. Oh man, I got kids. new ones. I haven't even posted them yet from last night. I had this three-year-old okay. that I launched in the air. It's hilarious. I'm going to post it right after this. Can you please explain to me the backstory yeah, behind they, that? Cause that can't be too good for marketing. Man, it's great for marketing kids always. <laughs> so kids after class, like always, like they always used to try to tackle me and take me down and, you know, I'm kind of a, a little bit bigger dude. So I, I'd stand up off the ground. I'd have like eight kids hanging on me and it used to be hilarious. But then I'd be like, look guys, I got the next class. I can't be dragging kids on me every single class. Like I just can't. So I would tell them like, all right, no more trying to tackle me to the ground. I like, I got to teach class. And they'd be like, all right, well, will you flip me? And so then I would flip one kid. You know, if you flip one kid, you got to flip every kid. You know what I'm saying? Oh my God. So then I was like, look, I can't flip every kid, every class. Like they wanted that every single class. And I said, oh, okay, uh, you're only getting flipped on your birthday or if you get promoted a belt, not a strike. Oh, my God. So they love it. I mean, parents like line up, like flip my kid. I'm like, they they love it. And the kids love it, too. And and it's always I always have to deal with them. I'm like, look, man, like we're going to flip. You got to land on your feet, though, because I want them to be in control of it as well. Not just think that I'm controlling. I need them to be in control in the air of their mind and their body. So I'm like, you got to land on your uh-huh. feet, though, because I need them thinking. And they and nine times out of ten, they do that. The, the tenth one, uh-huh. I help them. But then times out of 10 they land on their feet on their own it's pretty cool and these are like high amplitude throws too which is yeah i launch them the video the pictures are yeah right after this class i'm gonna i'm gonna post the one from the the little girl yesterday that's amazing um and you know what one more thing you said cleanliness is so important i can't tell you how many gyms i went to where it it smells disgusting it smells like disgusting shin pads and tie pads. And I'm like, damn, man, you know, someone's going to walk in here and walk right out. So like how, how, how important is cleanliness to you as far as what do you clean after every session? You have cleaners. Yeah, I clean in? after every session. And I have uh, a, a really one, one dude that basically clean, just like literally is on a cleaning spree every time he walks in the door and is like the, the glue that holds the cleaning of this place together. That's amazing. Uh, Justin, man, he just does such a, such a great, great job of, of keeping this place neat and tidy. And, you know, and it's personal to him, you know, he trains here and he loves his place. And so, I mean, he likes to take care of it and, and he does an exceptional job. But, I mean, everybody helps out, you know, keeping it clean. It's, it's a, it's a family and a team thing. You, if I see somebody just like leaving, shit sitting around i'm like hey man like this is your house too pick your shit up you know what i mean so we we generally try to keep the place generally clean in the in the first place but as far as like cleaning and being clean like we we do that after every session and and specifically with justin he does a a, a superb job with keeping this place spick and span that's amazing that's amazing and i fully agree with what you're doing there Um, now we had some, uh, listener questions and this is one that comes up a lot. Um, when have you ever had a time where you had to kick somebody out of the gym because they just weren't following the rules or they were a threat, uh, and they were hurting people? Did you ever encounter any time Um, like that? In general, um, I have not had to kick people out of the gym only because um of the atmosphere that we've created here with the students and instructors we've tried to create an atmosphere that isn't if if a person comes in here and they're acting like an idiot they know they don't fit in right away you know what i'm saying oh wow like they they know they don't fit in right away and if it gets and if it gets to a point where they don't get it that they don't fit in and they need to change their behavior like i either talk to them um or somebody else maybe that knows them or has established a relationship is like, hey, man, like I, I talked to a guy today. We were training and just his style was really, really different today. And he was doing just, just some crazy shit. And I was like, I was like, hey, man, when you're doing like that, like that's not really like what we're trying to do here. And when you when you talk to him and you're like, oh, man, I didn't realize that I was doing it like that. I thought I was doing something else. 
And then when you point it out there, I'm like, oh, shit, I guess I was kind of doing that. You know what I mean? But Yes, yes. We we definitely had, like, a, I just follow John Danaher's rules because he's my instructor. So we do no flying submissions, no Kani Basami. And when someone starts going towards that direction, we're like, hey, man, we can't really do that because it's not safe. And, and I usually it's it doesn't cause problems. Yeah. Um, what I also want to ask, this is a huge, very popular question that a lot of people ask is, do you allow day one people to roll? If yeah, I do go right off the bat. Now it's now it's a little bit so different. What's your now, I, I don't just throw them to the wolves and be like, Hey, you're Baron Boloing out there today. Uh, generally, uh-huh. cause we, we live train every class. So generally when it gets to that point, if, if it's their first class, Right off the bat, when they come in, um, I introduce myself or Jenny introduces them to me if I'm already teaching a class. And once they're ready for the class, I, I match them up with an upper belt appropriate to their size and, and age and what I think would work well for them right off the bat. I'm like, hey, you're going to work with this guy today. They're going to help you. And and we're going to do this. So that way they know that they're at kind of like a little bit different pace than the rest of the class. I mean, they're going to do the same things as the rest of the class, but you know, if they need to take a little bit more time working on something, I'll allow them to do that. And we, we work through the positions of that day. And then when it comes time for live training, generally what I do is um, we do situational training first. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll have, uh, and generally the situational training that we do is based on the techniques that we're working. So I put them in the situation of the, of the, the teaching moment. And so what, since we're already working in that for the situation, I will generally break those two people or those people away. And I'm like, Hey, you guys can continue to work this at a little bit higher pace, more of a drilling pace. Uh, so that way you kind of get into it more than just step-by-step walking through it. Let's try to pick it up a little bit and show them what it looks like with minimal resistance or enough resistance that they can get a very, very good read at what it's going to look like. And then kind of ramp up the intensity just a little bit. And then when it comes to live training, generally what I will do, if we're going to do more than one round, which most of the time we do, um, the first one, I will take that person with me and I'll, I'll walk around with them and I'll kind of, or I'll stand with them and kind of explain what's happening. All right, this is this position. This is what these people are doing. This is their, you know, kind of like walk them through what's what they're seeing in front of them, narrate what's happening or commentate a role and, and get them very well informed of what's happening. Then I'll put them back with that person and then kind of ease them into, all right, you know, passing the guard and uh, working a takedown and, and getting to guard and, and work those things. And I found um, that it's it's been really helpful. I've got a, um, a new student guide that that I give to every new student that comes in. Um, it's in PDF form too. I used, I've got like little like pamphlet looking things with a ring binder on them that they can have and write notes in, or I've got a PDF version they can have on their phone and scroll through it. That's very informative. That talks about what the positions are. So they get that too. Um, but I, 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 I let them train right away. I mean, I really like that idea of the new student guide. If you could hook me up yeah, with man, that send PDF, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I'm definitely going to start adding that to my, uh, to my uh, regiment too, to have someone walk with them and explain to them, you know, this is guard, this is yeah. mount, etc. And uh, cause I don't really do that. I kind of just throw them in there and say, uh, you know, let me know what you think. And usually they enjoy it. But now the, the day one guy, he, he took the class he says he likes it. He says he loves it. And then you ask, all right, so do you want to sign up? And and then what do you do when you get the worst response ever? The I let I'll let you know people or I got to talk to my wife people. What is your response to that? And what are some ways to overcome the, um, you know, people saying no? Um, it's really different or case by case. A lot of times. A lot of times, uh, I, I don't have people in that situation. Most of the time when they come, they enjoy it and they stick around. Sometimes I'll have people that like the, the parents are apprehensive and I, I don't like like hard closing on people. 
Really? Okay. Because I that? feel that if you're if you hard close on someone and you kind of force them into an into an agreement, you're gonna have problems later on down the line anyway. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. You know, my mentality was, you know, once they leave, uh, they're probably that's not true. coming back. So you might and, and, and that's what's so you crazy because well I, I recruited for a long time, so I I went through man so much training on how to get people to you know think about it i'm trying to get people to join an army during two wars you know what i'm saying so how uh-huh. hard can that be uh, dealing with parents <laughs> you know so I, being able to talk to people and and trying to show them like hey how beneficial this is like that's my bread and butter but when it comes to this it mm. since this is just so such so my passion and i love it so much i'm like hey man I, I don't want to try to force you to try to understand or believe that I'm telling you that this is amazing. Most of the time, what I tell them is this, Hey man, if you're, if you're undecided right now, like I, I understand and I, and I get it. It's a lot to kind of take in. If you want to come back and try out a couple more classes, I have, I have no problem with that. And we can go from there. And most of the time they go, really? And I go, yeah. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, if you walk out of the door and you never come back in, it doesn't matter if you take one more class or two more, right? I'm like, if you think that it's something you might want to figure out, if you like, like come on in a couple more times and figure it out. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Wow. I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's tough for me to try to com- convince someone that I'm so passionate about how good it is. You know what I mean? I'm like, come I'll, basically my thing is like, come see for yourself. Like it's right there. Like come see. So, yeah. Wow. You know, and it just occurred to me, I completely didn't realize you just said you were a recruiter for so many years. So it's no wonder why you have so many students. You know what you're doing as far as sales. Yeah, but the thing about it is I I try not to just like I said there, I try not to sell people. I the the proof is in the art and in the thing itself. You know what I mean? Interesting. Because so for me with with memberships, I do a hard sell. Right. But for the T-shirts, that's my that's my brand. And uh, I'm trying to build like an empire with that. So like if someone says no once to the T-shirt, I don't bother them again because it's likely that they will be back. They will be back. With the gym, I feel like they might not like might not be back, but I could be wrong with that. You know, maybe I might start doing the saying, you know, come back a couple more classes because right now it's just one free trial. Maybe I'll say, you know what, come back. Yeah. What I have found, I've even seen people that do like a 30 day free trial. And, and you know, what's funny about that 30 day free trial. It's either going to, it's either going to go a week and they're never going to come back or it's going to go two weeks and they're trying to get the most out of that 30 day free trial that they can before they start paying. But if you really talk to them at the two week point, and be like, hey, man, you've been coming for two weeks. Do you like it? And they're like, yeah, man, I love it. I just want to get this 30 days for free. They'll sign up right then. And if you just tell them, all right, well, you'll start paying at the next two weeks. They don't care about it. You know what I mean? You you, you get a sell wow. right there. You're, you're, the 30-day free trial thing really is a two-week thing. But if you tell them 30 days, like within the first week, they're going to know. Like, man, I get 30 days. They're going to come to like three class and be like, man, I, I this just isn't for me. And some people it's not. I mean, it's a beautiful art, but some people just can't do it but wow the ones that do like it they'll stay that second week and they're just soaking it up and then you're like hey man you've been coming like fucking two weeks like you you like it you enjoy it right i see you in every single class they're like yeah like all right well then you need to get your own gear you need to get signed up and we'll just start your membership on this day oh yeah no problem let's do this you know what i mean that's amazing that's definitely a good tactic and um i think i might start adding that my space is a little smaller now but, you know, once I get my own spot, which is a little bigger, I, I definitely think I might add that. Um, now, one more question. Last question. Um, you know, a lot of gyms have the issue of drop-in people, people who like to drop in a lot. When I first opened, I was, I was, I said, pay heed, man. You know, you don't want people from competi- competing gyms coming in and dropping in a lot. So you got to put a limit on drop-ins. What are your thoughts on, you know, limiting drop-ins? Do you have any rules for drop-ins? Because, you know, they might be competing against your guy next week in the tournament. Um, I've got probably one of the largest open mats um, that you're going to find around. Not Probably not just in Houston. I, I don't know if I've ever heard or seen all the places that I've traveled. A straight-up open, open mat 
where anybody from any academy can go in and train. Like I'll have 10 or 12 different academies in here, 50 or 60 different people every Sunday, <clears throat> every Sunday. Wow. So it's, it's, it's weird. Like we train with each other all the time anyway. And there's so many super fights down here with the, with the, the organizations that they have down here and tournaments we're, we're all fighting against each other all the time anyway. So, I mean, it's really, you know what I mean? But what interesting. And do you get a lot of uh, students out well, of I don't those get open any mats? Out of there. I don't, I don't recruit any students out of open mats. I don't even, I don't even, wow. I don't even okay. talk to them about what I can do, what they can do here. When they walk in the door, if I've never seen them before, cause I'm at almost every single open mat. Because it's my uh-huh. favorite day to train. I love training on Sundays. Um, uh, uh-huh, me too. But when they walk in the door, if I've never seen him before, I say, hey, man, what's going on? You here for the open mat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such and such told me about it. All right, cool, man. Where do you train? Oh, I train here. No problem. If I know the instructor, I'm like, yeah, no problem, man. These are two bathrooms. I mean, you've been in my place. Hey, this is the lobby. There's two bathrooms. The dress, the locker rooms around the yeah. corner with the shower. This is open mat. This is mat space, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Give them the, the nickel tour and then and show them the stuff. I don't, I don't even talk to them. I don't, I have not, I've never talked to one single person in the six years I've done an open mat or trained anywhere else about recruiting them to come train at my academy ever, ever. I've got, I've got, and I've got a jujitsu academy literally across the street from me. And, and I didn't even want to pick this location, but you've been here and I couldn't pass it up when they showed it to me like yeah it's like i walked I, they yeah. were like hey let me show you this spot no i don't want to go down there let me show you this spot no i don't want to go down there like i wanted a different spot mm-hmm. and they're like just let me show it to you and i they showed it to me and i was like all right well, i gotta take it like I, I couldn't pass it up it was just too too nice and but literally right across the street from me is another jiu-jitsu academy man and that dude was pissed when i when I moved in <laughs> and remember I told you Drac used to mentor me at the time he called Drac and he's like Drac your guy's moving in across the street Drac called me he's like Brian I thought you told me you're moving in someplace else I was like well you know that was what my intention was but Drac wait till you see this place you can't pass it up and he's like yeah but such and such is across the street I said Drac I don't want a single one of anyone else's students my job is to expand jujitsu to people that are not currently training jujitsu I don't need people that are currently training jiu-jitsu to continue training jiu-jitsu with me. I, the reason I'm putting this gym here is to find new people to expand this art to. And he's like, I know. So, you know, I, like I said, I've, I've, I've never one time tried to recruit somebody to come train at my academy. If they want to come train here, there is going to be of their own conscious decision. Um, we've just got a different thing going down here and most people it's just different, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Cause you got it up there. You know what I'm saying? It's different. Exactly. People, people can't like, grasp I, I open... when they see it. They're like, man, are you for real? I'm like, yeah, man, it's just different. So. Interesting. Yeah. I had the uh, same, I'm, I'm in a very saturated area and I got a lot of, you know, you know, people are like, man, why wouldn't you just open somewhere where there aren't gyms? I'm like, well, it's close to my house and I, I don't really I can't be traveling an hour to and from my academy every day. And it's literally my students are mostly people who have never trained before. So I'm not really taking anyone's students. And um, man, that was a hell of an episode. I learned a lot from you. I'm so glad we recorded this. And I think this is going to be uh, a great help, not only for jujitsu instructors, but anyone that wants to train. So I wanted to ask you, do you have any last words, any plugs you want to do before we end? Um, I really, I just like to thank uh, Henzo for allowing me to, to continue his name and his legacy down here in, in Texas and expand jujitsu in, in his name. You know, we're, we're doing some, some really cool things down here and we've got some really good people that we're working with. Um, as far as all of the academies. So that's, that's really thankful. I'm I'm thankful of all the support that I get from, from my sponsors, you know, show your role. Um, AMP sponsors me with, with some stuff, monkey tape, um, relentless defender apparel. uh, Who am I missing? New Defeon, but um, really, really those guys. And then my students, man, I, I, I love those guys. It's, it's a, I've got a 
a great instructor student relationship with with everybody at at all the different academies they know i'm i'm goofy and sarcastic but yet in the same time i have the appearance that i that would do damage to a person which i'm just a big teddy bear uh, but you know <laughs> what i mean i i really thank them for allowing me because without without the students i mean it's just me talking a bunch to nobody you know what i'm saying that's amazing that's amazing and um it was it was nice to hear some insight from the other side and uh definitely very eye-opening thank you so much for coming on hopefully we have you on again real soon hope you have a wonderful night man thank you hey so thanks much for, for having me this, the Brian. sultan of strangles <laughs> thank you so i hope you guys enjoyed that episode i learned a shit ton i hope you did if you have any questions please follow me at at K-O-O-L-R-A-K. Please follow my gym at Immortals Jiu-Jitsu and follow the podcast at Rambling with Rack on Instagram. You can find Brian Marvin on Instagram at Brian Marvin. You can find me on Facebook at Mike Rackshan. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I will have a new one soon. And if you want to come on the podcast, if you're a cool dude and you have some knowledge to share, hit me up. The Sultan of Strangles always wants to interview people. The Kimura King has the doors always wide open. And the Ayatollah of Ankalax is always open to breaking your legs. What's up, everybody? Sultan of Strangles here. And today will be the first time that I've ever done a podcast recording that I didn't really want to do one. Usually, I can't wait to record. I'm pumped up. I have energy. I'm like, let's do this. But today, this is me forcing myself to do this podcast just because I just don't want to be unproductive today. And that's something I'm going to talk about. Um, also, I have severe, severe anxiety today. I don't know why. It's a couple of things. And, um, and <laughs> that's why I'm going to do a podcast episode on anxiety. I have this written down with bullet points. I just haven't fucking done it. Maybe it's because I'm too anxious. <laughs> but hopefully you guys could learn something today. I could help a couple of people and I'll get the ball rolling again. Also, if you guys want me to talk about any types of topics to, um, coming up, you let me know and I'll do it. I am at your service, fellas. Remember, Sultan of Strangles, the Kimura King, the Ayatollah of Ankle Locks is always at your service. <laughs>